we be doing this show? You're listening to The Wrestling Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at obpapparel.com. Hey everybody, it's The Wrestling Life. It's episode 169. It's the last week of August of 2018. I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. We're here to discuss a veritable potpourri of items in the world of pro wrestling this week. Liam, there's so much to talk about. And so many things we can't talk about. Let's start with the thing that jumped out to be jumped out at me most since we last recorded. Uh, there was a child murdered on Impact Wrestling. <laughs> what? I, they did this, this skit and it had Conan's fingerprints all over it because Conan thinks like He's a writer on Dexter or something. <laughs> when he just, he, just thinks like Vince Russo. Like he's just taken Vince Russo stuff to the logical conclusion. I, I can only assume that Conan must be a very charming guy in person. I, it's the only way I can explain his continued presence in the wrestling business in 2018. You would think, right? Like that can, can't be because he's like smart. Well... I, well, I he's know. smart in a right in this in certain. He can't be because he's a good writer or a good idea man. Right, right. Uh, so. But yes, yeah, so they did a little skit. It was like I don't know a soap opera or something where uh, Conan's group is celebrating winning a wrestling match, and uh, I believe Homicide and Hernandez. What year is it, by the way? <laughs> Two thousand eighteen. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Hit. A, chi- a child who was at this party Conan and his crew were having and then we see a POV shot of the child as it lays <laughs> in the street dying uh, not since uh, James Storm threw Mickey James in front of an oncoming train have I been so traumatized by, uh, by a death on TNA Impact can we do away with the old Impact is good now takes Kind of feels like we can, right? And like I hear people defending this, which I can only assume means that people now are friends with the people that run Impact, right? Uh, because Don Callis, who is friends with Chris Jericho, who is friends with Dave Meltzer, and so on and so forth, runs the show. Um, so, but yes, and the idea of well, you know, they're just trying to get people talking. It's like, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> If they talk, if they talk about you in a bad way, though, or like they did a really stupid thing where they killed a child, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like if anything, they should be glad that like nobody sees their show because otherwise they probably would have had like a giant media like s storm for you know killing a kid on your stupid fake wrestling show. But yeah. I don't do we, know. It, it is interesting we, to me because there's this sort of critical acclaim around impact to an extent right now. And then the most newsworthy thing to come out of it is something straight out that could be out of any era of impact. Did we yeah. mention Jeff Jarrett suing them, by the way? Have we talked about that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we have. <laughs> because they left episodes of GFW Amped up on their YouTube page. Yeah. Part of me is um, I, I have this begrudging respect for Jeff Jarrett for some reason. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Maybe I don't because think respect is a word. You should. <laughs> yeah, I'm, maybe that's not the word. Um, I find I am entertained by him as a performer. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. And like, there's part of me that like he has somehow managed to get himself a paycheck in wrestling for 25 years sure and uh stole kurt Engel's wife um yeah. and you know probably is living a lot on kurt Engel's alimony money but well, sure you gotta lock that down yeah yeah i don't blame him but um yeah but jeff Jarrett, like if you read the there was an interview of it whoever the the people that bought him <laughs> bought impact 
are the fight network people i guess sure they did an interview recently where they're like yeah we didn't really know what we were getting into when we bought this thing <laughs> like, yeah well then good you deserve to get sued for yeah for something stupid like that you changed your name to gfw without buying the trademarks or whatever you needed to do to <laughs> And then you fired the guy who owned all the trademarks to your stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, and I'm they're... not saying he didn't deserve to be fired. From all accounts, he was a uh, you know kind of a mess. Yeah. But it was just a very it was in, like its impact. No matter who owns it, it's it's always there's always going to be those moments where you go, yeah, of course that's that's what's that's what's going to happen, and they. They they're they're very brief ups like the you know the Matt Hardy stuff a couple of years ago was immediately followed by them suing Matt Hardy and him trying desperately to leave their terrible company. So generally, anytime they do have some sort of ups, they're usually immediately followed by something really random or wacky, or they get sued, or they lose their television network because they secretly rehire Vince Russo, <laughs> or or anything. But it's like it doesn't seem to matter who. Uh, Who's in charge? Uh, there's always going to be some sort of wacky happenings on Impact. I guess my thing is, like, at this point, like, Impact doesn't seem like any larger of a blip on the radar than, like, that MLW show that's on whatever sports network that is. And and not, like, anywhere near the same stratosphere of Ring of Honor, much less, you know, anything, you know, approaching the, the universe of WWE. So it's just, it's almost like, unless something really stupid or silly happens, why, like, there's no point to me. That's why we don't talk about it. I'm, you know, if you enjoy it, fine. But like, it's not, it's not a blip on the radar unless they do something stupid now. Yeah. Speaking of Triple Mania, <laughs> another, <laughs> another promotion with Conan. Speaking of stupid stuff and Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, with Jeff Jarrett and Conan's fingerprints all over it. <laughs> Yeah, so I saw about 90 seconds of Triple Mania, but those 90 seconds included uh, during one of the matches, uh, <laughs> Vampiro farted <laughs> so loud. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. He just farts so loud on live pay-per-view. And Matt Stryker is too dumbfounded. Like, Matt Stryker, <laughs> I'm sorry that I ever said Matt Stryker was the worst commentator. Because apparently Vampiro is even worse. You know how this could be? How it could be worse? Farts. <laughs> that might actually be in some of the best commentary you heard all night, if you, uh, according to some reports. But... Then, of course, later in the show when uh, Conan and Jeff Jarrett and whoever else are uh, calling out Vampiro, Vampiro begins, stands up like he's going to get in the ring, but then he just stands there and stares. And he stands there, and finally he just starts screaming, where's my music? Where's my effing music? Somebody hit my effing music. And he just stands there awkwardly like the biggest goof waiting uh, for, for his music to be hit. So that's all I really saw of Triple Mania. Um, did you did you see uh, Ray Phoenix do a dive onto Antonio Pena's widow? Yes, I did. <laughs> I saw that. I saw uh, Trevor Lee do like a springboard hurricane rana off a ladder onto Ugh. some onto a big pile of guys. I know uh, El Hijo de Fantasma lost his mask in the main event, I believe, and yeah. they set up L.A. Park versus Doctor Wagner Jr. Which I guess affected some CMLL plans that involved LA Park, but uh, we don't need to get into all that. But I just want to say, from the ninety seconds or so that I saw of, uh, of Triple Mania, what a fantastic show! Fart. <laughs> 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 oh man, that was great. It was a great time. Awesome. Uh, Monday Night Raw. I all I watched from Raw was. The uh, segment with good friend of the show, Trish Stratus and Elias. Uh, I did not watch Raw otherwise. And uh, I got a message from you sometime shortly after the show ended. Alerting me that they'd done something pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> they, turned, they turned Braun Strowman heel. 
in a promotion where they don't do faces and heels. Uh, they very clearly turned Braun Strowman heel and aligned him with Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre to take on uh, the Shield. And Braun, who has the briefcase, is going to <laughs> wrestle Roman in a Hell in a Cell match. Yes. So where do you want to start? Um, do you want to start with the positives of, of Trish and... And Natalia actually getting to win in Toronto, or do you want to go straight in for the uh, the meat and potatoes of it all? I'll I'll just say I thought that Trish and Elias segment was great. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it was. It was actually it was something that doesn't happen very often on Raw because something happened. Yeah, like something interesting, unexpected, a, a cool segment that then led to a match, and you sort of got ancillary build for Trish and Alexa. Um, as well as build for the rematch for Ronda and Alexa. So, and, yeah, that was... And they didn't use the legend just to get heat. That's true. She didn't have to... Uh, she didn't get laid out by anybody. And, and Natty got to win in something resembling her hometown. So, yeah, yes. I, a thumbs up there. Uh, I guess starting with the terrible things, um, Baron Corbin... Sami, if you've heard this before, Constable Corbin beat Finn Balor in a wrestling match. Why is that program continuing? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I think it's because what people consider feuds now are just guys have matches every week forever. And then eventually was... one of them moves on. Yeah, I saw that it was like their fourth or fifth televised match in the last six weeks. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievably stupid. But yeah, so we'll probably have to get another match, perhaps at the, the Hell in a Cell show. And uh, thank God, we're, uh, Baron Corbin's now the GM of the show, so he we got we, we're back to that that classic heel GM that everyone was missing. And is, uh, is, is that is it possible that it's just because Kurt can't get into Canada? I, maybe I thought maybe it's because Kurt's taking time off to train so he can wrestle at Survivor Series. Uh, I was thinking maybe he just can't go to Canada, but hey, Jeff Hardy was in Canada tonight, so that's true. Um, but anyway, so that happened. And then, uh, later on in the show, uh, I, speaking of friends of the show, so Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins had a tremendous wrestling match and, uh, Kevin Owens lost as he does. And then after the match, I guess he's been listening cause he's been number one on your list of people who should quit for, <laughs> I think like three of the four weeks we've done it at least. Agreed. Uh, and he said, I quit. And he walked off. So mission accomplished. Is there <laughs> I, any chance? If there's like a half a percent chance, this is a Brian Pillman situation, and he <laughs> can get them to actually grant him his release, that would be great. I th I think he's there for like five more years. No, he definitely is. I think they're going to keep him off TV until Sammy comes back, and then they'll just be a wacky duo who loses to Bobby Lashley or whoever. Um, and then, yes, let's get to the, the, the main event of the show. Braun and Roman, they did a Vince Russo special, the tag team partners who hate each other. Babyface tag team partners who hate each other, of course. <laughs> right. And then the, baby the one babyface who has been pushed. Speaking of Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens spent the last six months or so just falling off of high things and doing, taking flip bumps on the floor every week to get a guy named Braun Strowman over. And uh, by golly, it worked. Braun Strowman, uh, you know, people compare him to Goldberg. People compare him to, you know, some of the great, like, monster baby faces of the last, uh, you know, 25 years or so. And uh, then Braun Strowman turned heel. And it was not, not a Shades of Grey thing. He didn't just leave Roman hanging and then and let Roman get beat up by the heels. He, he helped the heels beat him up. And then uh, raised the heels' hands afterwards. It was a. Uh, it immediately reminded me of that one WCW pay per view where Goldberg uh, turns and then hugs Eric Bischoff <laughs> and Vince Russo to end the show. Yeah. Um, so they turned him. So they spent six months getting him. Kevin Owens specifically, and individually, spent six months getting this guy over to be a giant monster babyface. He succeeded. And then they just decided to turn him on a random Raw for a random pay-per-view, which, by the way, they're not even really 
trying very hard to promote because they've already announced like nine matches that are going to happen on the Australia show or on the, uh, the evolution show afterwards. So the that's Braun had to turn for this lame duck pay-per-view match. And I guess so that he can then go on to the super showdown show to team up with Dolphin drew against the shield. (laughs) What, what is it in this company? I'm going to, I'm going to pose a question to you where they are so fascinating, and we've touched on this before, so we don't need to talk about it for an hour, but they, they crave heat. They, don't, they built a baby face that a lot of the fans do not like, and instead of looking at another guy who's maybe as over, at least from a crowd's response, and as we often say, nothing really matters because of these TV deals. So you, it's not like, oh, Roman's selling the most tickets. We need him for pay-per-view buys. You can do whatever you want, story-wise. But instead, we take Braun, or we take Becky Lynch, or we take whoever, and we turn them in service of getting the one golden boy or girl over. And that is the, that is the lot in life of every other top guy. It is to be built up so they can be fed to the top guy. Am I, am I, is this a disconnect? Is this what they should be doing if Roman's the top guy? They should just create an assembly line of people to feed to, feed to him? Like, are they doing the right thing with the wrong guy? Like, I'm just, I'm trying to grasp what it is they think they're doing. Do you have any insight on this? I think that's, I think that's a viable strategy if you're willing to have a lot of roster turnover. But when you have the same stagnant roster for... <laughs> I was thinking about this today. The Usos, for example, have been there for a decade. Um, Ziggler's been there for 12 years or whatever. Like, Yeah. I mean, there has been some turnover, but there is not a lot you can do when it's the same players and you just shuffle up the brands a little bit every year. When you have the same stagnant roster, it doesn't make sense to just feed them, um, feed a bunch of contenders to one champion because you're gonna, particularly when you have a brand split, because then you're gonna, you're gonna have to go back sometime <laughs> and yeah. re- and redo programs, and the only way to do that is to do nonsensical turns like Becky or Braun or, um. Seth Rollins in 2014 or or Seth Rollins probably in about six months from now. Sure. Ambrose is probably the next to turn, but yeah, he makes um, a lot of mean faces now. I think a more viable strategy, a booking strategy would be like, I don't know, 99 to 2001, 99 after Russo left into like 2001 when you had, Triple H, Austin, Undertaker, Rock, Angle. You had like six top guys. Mick was there for some of that. And and guys would turn and stuff, and they, you know, there were a million titles. They were hot shining all the titles and everything. But um, when there wasn't going to be a lot of turnover at the top of the roster, then they didn't just feed everybody to Austin or rock or like those guys lost more than you would think. Well, actually Austin didn't lose more than you would think, but Austin was also hurt for a good chunk of 2000 an entire year almost. Yeah. 99, 2000. But so to your point, I think that is a strategy. That's what they did in the eighties. You know, it was just an assembly line of monsters fed to Hogan. Right. But Then those guys, they worked their way up the card to get to Hogan. Then Hogan beat them. Then they worked down their card. Maybe they had an Intercontinental title feud. But then they were gone. (laughs) Like, like Kurt Hennig, you know, Curtis Axel has had a much longer run in WWE than Kurt Hennig had in WWE. (laughs) Like, Kurt, Kurt Hennig was, you know, incredible. And he worked his way up, and he feuded with Hogan, even though he was by the standards of the time, a small guy, and then he worked his way down the car. <laughs> and so to your point, I don't think it's a viable strategy strategy to do that. In 2018, um, 
But I think a lot of that is just the influence of Triple H and the last, the way they've done business for the last 15, 17 years now, where <laughs> they only want one or two people to be over. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it doesn't matter what they do. They're too big to fail. And so they can do what they want. That's fair. And I, speaking of Triple H, um, spoiler alert for the, the latest NXT tapings, I guess. Um, Johnny Gargano gets booed at the, the NXT tapings uh, pretty heavily. And <laughs> they chant Johnny failure at him <laughs> after they have the Velveteen Dream come out and point out what a loser he is. And I just want to commend Paul for, uh, for, for cutting out the middleman, for not waiting uh, until the main roster to, uh, to ruin Johnny Gargano and instead ruining him himself. It's like that, uh, the Vince NWO promo, you know? He's not going to let Vince kill his <laughs> creation. He's going to do it. So uh, just congrats to NXT for ruining one of the greatest baby faces they've ever had and arguably the greatest performer they've had in NXT history. Uh, great, just great, great job. Um, I think a side effect of, and now again, eventually you will get the happy endings in NXT, but they wait too long with so many people to get them. They didn't necessarily miss it with Kyrie Sane, uh, but they long since missed it with Gargano. It can be argued that, that maybe they waited too long to give it to Sami Zayn back in the day. And they're, 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 and then the main roster is just littered with examples of them waiting too long to give a guy, you know, the, the, the big run. So I just, I, yeah, I think what you said is that that's as much as people, I think, want to blame every single bad thing that happens in WWE on the old man. And I have no doubt that his fingerprints are on it. Nothing would happen without his approval, right? So, like, sure. it is fair to put some of it on him. But I do think the people that are like, oh, we're, we're heading to the promised land when, uh, you know, when, Mo when Moses dies and Joshua takes over, things are going to be great. Um, I'm just, I just want everybody to think that, think about Johnny Gargano and think about what happened when Papa Paul uh, books his heel champions to win cleanly repeatedly. Um, now they're, they're about, they're about to do it again. They're doing it in the NXT UK promotion where Rhea Ripley, a spoiler, spoiler alert, Rhea Ripley beat Tony storm to become the first NXT UK women's champion. Now I got no issue with Rhea Ripley. I haven't seen her work in about, well, I guess I've seen one of her matches in the last year. But saw her a year ago in the May Young Classic and thought, wow, she's green as grass. But she's big kid, got a good look. She's a good athlete. She's going to be good one day. Um, I still think she's going to be good one day. But <laughs> I, think, I think it's the biggest no-brainer of all no-brainers that, hey, they have Tony Storm under contract. I really think Tony Storm should be the... <laughs> should be the women's champ she should be the women's champ on raw right now but anyway you can make her the nxt uk women's champ but no rhea ripley the heel uh beat tony storm <laughs> to win the nxt uk women's champion because paul likes his heel champs pete dunn's been champion for like 600 days he's kind of a baby face now he though. did turn he did turn with the roderick strong stuff but he was a heel for most. And I mean, it's not like he was on TV that much, but that is true. Tyler Bate was the first UK champion who was a good looking guy with a lot of muscles. So um, you can guess who maybe made that booking decision, but yeah, yeah I, I think, I think we have the template for how the next 25 years is going to go though. Yeah. And again, there will be some highs, there will be good moments. And, but I think you just, just prepare yourself. That's all I, suggest to our dear listener is just we're going to get a lot of heel wins and the baby faces that do get pushed are probably not going to be the baby faces that most people think should be pushed and that's just how it's going to go smackdown this week i watched a good portion of the show i thought it was eh, pretty good uh, jeff hardy 
and Randy Orton are going to wrestle in Hell in a Cell. Remind I mean, me again. The year is... It's 2018. Ah, thank you. Yeah, that's a main event anywhere in the country in 2008. But we're doing it a decade later. Poor Jeff. Well, it's, it's a semi-main for the big dog and, uh, and Brawny. Sure. Um, almost Joe and AJ in, in the in the freaking cell. They really should be that thing. I actually kind of like that feud. Um, no, I think it's it's been good. I mean, I, we talked about sort of maybe a little bit of uncomfortability with the basic idea of bringing like wives and children into storylines. Yes, but I don't think you can deny that like the individual performances are good. Yes, too great even. Yeah. Uh, Brian and Almas were on their way to having a good match tonight um, on SmackDown. We're taping this after SmackDown on Tuesday night. Brian and Almas were on their way to having a good match. And then Ms. Maurice ran in. And then Pretty Bella just potato Maurice <laughs> with a right hand to the face. Um, Brian did a superplex off the top and landed right on his head and started selling his head because he meant to do that because mm-hmm. he's not. He for all the Daniel Bryan might be a real life genius, but when he gets in between those ropes, he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I will say he was brave enough to do his suicide dive onto the Miz, who has a pretty bad rep for being able to catch. <laughs> yeah, um, but Miz did a great job. So, um, but yeah, so they they had a good match, and then uh, Miz and Maurice got heat afterwards yeah. on uh, on them. But at least. At least it's a week after uh, Brian and Bree got to send them packing, and it was it was four on on two with Almas and and Zelina Vega in there, so that was at least acceptable. If it wasn't surrounded by all of the times that you know heels just win clean or or you know beat up the baby faces in fair fights, maybe it would it this would be less. Uh, this would stand out as like maybe like one of the better segments of the whole year, but because it happens so often, you're just like, oh, yeah, then the baby face got beat up. AJ and Joe stuff, we touched on that was good, and then Charlotte and Carmella wrestled in the main event. It was probably the best Carmella match I've ever seen. I don't know if that's... Just imagine the lowest limbo bar you've ever seen. (laughs) They're pretty much just having her do, like... uh, There was one, like, wheelbarrow spot that was... Pretty rough, mm-hmm. but um, and then Becky Lynch in leather pants did a run in and beat up Charlotte Flair and um, got wildly cheered. So, <laughs> <laughs> so things are going great. Uh, we we were uh, recording last week just as SmackDown had left the air, but uh, my favorite thing this week was when uh, we were all uh. There was an attempted gaslighting by the road dog <laughs> on Twitter this week, and he tried to tell fans that the the storyline was not what it clearly was on TV for the last six months. Uh, that was that's a lot of fun. I like I like when WWE employees start just yelling at fans and telling them they're they're what they're being bad fans because they don't like the stories, and also when certain uh, dirt sheet writers join in on that because they desperately want a job with the company. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's always nice. Well, should we talk about something nice in wrestling? Yeah, let's let's do that. What do you got? All all ends this weekend. By gosh, it is September first. Are you excited for the show? Uh yeah. I will say I don't know that I would be paying for it were it not for the Christopher Daniels versus Stephen Amell match. Um, I'm a big fan of the show Arrow. Uh was you know a fan of when Amal came in and did stuff with WWE a few years ago, and uh, if you if you happen to watch Being the Elite uh, this week, uh, Amal plays a Hollywood bad guy in a much better way than the the Miz has ever, because you know Stephen Amal actually is like a a real actor and B like knows how Hollywood people actually act because he's not like a kid from Cleveland pretending to be an actor. What? Um, so he was really good. And then Dan- Christopher Daniels also cut a, a very good promo on that show. So I'm very excited for probably that match more than any other. But then you also have 
the Young Bucks and Kota Ibushi against Rey Mysterio and Phoenix and forget who their partner is, but that's going to be one of those insane six-man tags. And then uh, what, is, what do you think the chances are that Neville's going to show up? I think he'll be there. So that I guess that's the other the big news uh, we for, we didn't mention, but yes, he is officially free and clear after almost an entire year, seemingly just sitting at home. Uh, and yeah, I think he's going to be there. And I guess that's maybe the best, the biggest prediction you can make: Will he wrestle on the show, or will he just come out and and cut an angry anti WWE promo? What do you think? Mm, I don't know. Like I don't know enough about. Cody and the Bucks uh, booking philosophy to know <laughs> uh, know what they're going to do. You know what I mean? Sure. And I, I mean, and it's like if you want to s- hold off on having him wrestle unannounced, like I don't think you need him if he's just going to like show up in the battle royal or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see him being a, a big surprise last minute appearance and coming out and, and pops the crowd or something. I could see that being the being like one of the big surprise moments. And then you got you got Cody going for the NWA title, quote unquote. And <laughs> why why is Magnus from TNA in like two thousand eight? Why is he the world champion? I don't know, dude. It's it's Billy Corrigan. Like what? That's true. <laughs> I just <laughs> I constantly forget that Billy Corgan is still in wrestling. <laughs> uh, speaking of TNA, um, yeah. But we're on the we're on the positive side here. Yeah. I do think it's going to be a really fun show, and it is something of a breath of fresh air after what we've just talked about. I think it's going to be a feel good show, and you're going to get your good wrestling, and you're going to get a lot of happy, cool moments. And it'll be something to talk about that doesn't make us sad. You know, I've been kicking this around a little bit. I've seen some people kicking it around on Twitter, and I've been thinking a lot about it this week. This show, this pay per view, this all in show, they got it on the, they got the pre show on WGN. They got the thing on pay per view. That WGN show could kind of serve as a pilot. What's to stop them? Them being the Bucks and Cody and Omega from going out to, you know, Silicon Valley or something and raising, do a bunch of uh, venture capitalist money raising and go on Shark Tank. Yeah. Raise a hundred million bucks. Start a, res- start a wrestling promotion. I've always thought that was something that as we've seen uh, the Mark Cuban-owned Access TV get more involved with New Japan, my thought is always that Mark Cuban's not a guy who just wants to air New Japan stuff on his TV. He probably wants to own... If he wants to get into wrestling, he's probably going to want to own a company. Mm. So, like, that's a guy who you could maybe be, who already has, you know, an interest in pro wrestling, at least. And obviously Access with the multiple live shows that they've done for, for New Japan this year. They're obviously investing somewhat uh, a bit more heavily in them than they have in years past. Uh, yeah, I could see them going to that. And like, what, who could they attract long-term as far as an audience? Well, if you have, a, right, if you have a, a guy like that with a lot of money and you can get like a soundstage, you can probably get you know, 500 people or whatever for your TVs and then do a, a quarterly all-in show. You do you know two or you know three or four a year, and I bet you could still probably sell out. Maybe you don't get ten, twelve thousand every time, but I bet you can you can make you can make a a big statement and and feel like maybe there's another big time wrestling promotion in there. I'd be I'd be a little concerned if I were if I were New Japan Ring of Honor because you know WGN wasn't wasn't knocking on Sinclair's door. Really, I mean, there was there's talks of a merger, obviously, but there weren't a lot of networks looking for to air Ring of Honor on. Uh, you know, Spike TV was never interested in, in Ring of Honor, and now there's all this talk of oh, a bunch of TV people are going to be at All In. Yeah, what if these four guys are? Depending, on, you know, I don't I don't know about 
you know, if they, they, I know Cody made a point of saying specifically he mentioned Kenny, the Bucks, and Hangman. Squirrel, mm-hmm. I I guess, has on a different contract loop than the rest of them, so he wouldn't be free right away if they all decided to leave. But that is that is a fascinating. It's a really interesting time, and those guys are going to make a lot of money no matter what they do. So that's pretty cool. I, it is. If you were to ask me today, I think they're going to do that. I think they're going to try to start their own thing. I don't think. I think they might still work New Japan just because with. I was going to ask. Do you think they would try to work with, uh, you know, everybody? Maybe like try to work with the NWA and work with. And just try to get people basically so that all the other places will lend their talents out. So all they really have to do is provide like a venue and a ring. A lot of cooks in the kitchen there. That's the only thing. Oh, very true. I I think ROH is the odd group out if they do that. Um, I think new, I think because new Japan is (laughs) expanding into North America now, I think it would be wise to partner with new Japan just because you have all that talent that you can borrow. I don't know if you take the elite guys out of Ring of Honor. I don't know, but there's enough there to really need to keep working with them. <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, I mean, other than you know some sort of sense of loyalty or whatever, yeah, there's not really. Now, in your scenario, would they would they work under the New Japan banner, or would it just sort of be a a general partnership? No, I think it would kind of be it would. They would kind of replace Ring of Honor in the. So they would be New Japan USA, basically. Yeah, I think. So. Well, no. Well, no. New Japan would still run their, you know, two shows a year or whatever in America, and those guys would still work New Japan. But those okay. guys, those guys would also promote in North America. They would promote shows at, say, the Ring of Honor level in North America, and they would just use New Japan talent occasionally. It would be under, you know, the All In brand or whatever they okay. want to call it. But I, if you, I think that's what's going to happen. But I, I, don't, I don't know that. But uh, you know, I mean, that to me makes as much sense of anything. If they aren't just going to get a gigantic money deal, and and if it's if it's not totally about the money, because a lot of those guys are making, you know, Cody has famously said that he's making more money now than he did, you know, after being in WWE for ten years or whatever. So. If these guys can't have the opportunity to make money and also be in charge and also have some artistic, uh, you know, enjoyment as well, I, I think you're onto something here. And I think it's, I think you're right that Ring of Honor should probably be the most worried of of anyone when when this comes. Obviously, WWE doesn't need to worry, and uh, and New Japan, as you said, could potentially work with them. And some of these smaller indies could probably try to work with them. But yeah, Ring of Honor would be kind of right in their crosshairs as they're starting out. Yeah, and Ring of Honor has tied their fortunes to those guys so much over the last three, four years that, you know, who's the most, um, you know, who are the homegrown Ring of Honor guys right now? Dalton Castle, Punishment, Martinez. I mean, Jay Lethal is their champion. Yeah, I mean,. I mean, I I like those guys. I think oh, all sure. of those, all of those guys are good, but <laughs> I liked all of them in 2010, though, too. So. Yeah, and try you know try touring, you know, not that they do a huge touring business, but um, you know, they draw thousand fifteen hundred people for their pay per view shows. Good luck doing that with you know, Dalton Castle and Punishment Martinez on top. But yeah, I think I think Ring of Honor is going to be the odd group out. I think those guys are going to start their own thing and partner with New Japan, but what the hell do I know? And, well, the reason I also think that Ring of Honor is like, I mean, we saw how long it took. I mean, Sinclair's owned them since what, 2011? It's been a long time. I don't remember. <laughs> and they just kind of started putting money into it like a year <laughs> ago. Yeah. And it, and it still kind of seems sometimes like it's a struggle. Like, yes, they have better production now. But with the amount of money that Sinclair br- brings in, and yes, they have some you know bigger contracts for guys like the Young Bucks now. But it's like if if they lose all those stars, Ring of Honor might go. Um, all right, we're slashing your budget, and you're back to taping in the Duburns Arena in Baltimore. <laughs> right. Right. You know, well, you're back to taping in the cheapest venues we can, and we're uh, giving you smaller cameras and less lights. 
right. All right. Well, enjoy all in. Uh, anything else? No, I think this is a. This has been a, a great free flowing discussion this week. Excellent. All right. Uh, enjoy the show, everybody. And until next time, I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. And we'll, we will be back very soon with more stories from the wrestling life. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. For other podcasts like this, head to obpapparel.com. The Wrestling Life is brought to you by OBP Apparel. For Baltimore's best local sports gear, head to obpapparel.com. Whether it's baseball or football season, we've got you covered with Baltimore's best local sports gear. That's obpapparel.com. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. Be sure to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for The Wrestling Life on the iTunes store. Make sure you leave a review and tell us how we're doing. Also, be sure to follow the guys on Twitter at TWL underscore podcast for live tweets during wrestling events and other hilarity throughout the week. That's at TWL underscore podcast. Now back to the guys. I uh, I somehow ended up down a YouTube uh, rabbit hole of Norm Macdonald stuff the other week. Uh huh. When we were doing a bunch of our, um, you know, no Germany and don't get to do it that no more shtick. Uh-huh. And, and <clears throat> I I. Happened upon a video that was like uh, 15 minutes of Norm Macdonald shitting on Bill Maher. <laughs> <laughs> that was the title of the video. So it was clips of Norm on Mars' various shows over the years, like, you know, politically incorrect and whatever is real time or whatever show is now, whatever. Um, but I I think he, he kind of ended up touching on or touching on something that had always kind of bugged me about Mar, but I didn't really realize it until I heard someone else say it. I just—he's <laughs> like on these shows. He's like everyone is sitting at the is, on the panel is weighted the same. Everyone has the same opinion, <laughs> or everyone's opinion is treated with the same level of um, of weight. He's like, I went on politically incorrect. And the topic, he's like, uh, the the producer came to me before the show in the dressing room and was like, um, what are your thoughts on like uh, the, the trade war right now between China and Taiwan? <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm a nightclub comedian. He's like, those are like, I've heard of those places, but those are just like, those are places to me. I don't, I don't have an opinion on, <laughs> on the trade war in China and Taiwan. <laughs> and then he's like, well, Bill's, Bill's opinion is probably this. So he's going to say this. So maybe you could say that. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, fine. So he's like, <laughs> so he's like <laughs> I go out there and I get on the panel and it's, it's Bill, it's me, it's two actors. And it's like this guy who wrote a book on China and Taiwan. <laughs> so it's like, so Bill starts the panel by saying, so all the things going on in China and Taiwan, <laughs> Norm, Norm, what are your thoughts? <laughs> it's like, He's like, I don't know. Why don't you? This guy wrote a book about it. Why don't you ask him? <laughs> so, so he's like, really, most of Bill Maher's opinions can be whittled down to, eh, eh, why we gotta have all these kids running around? <laughs> what about whores? <laughs> I, um, my my favorite thing related to Bill Maher was um, when when Bill O'Reilly had uh, his fall. Uh, about six months ago, <laughs> uh, right-wing internet people's uh, response was, 
well, we're going to go after Bill Maher. <laughs> and every like actual left-leaning person was like, yeah, go, go, get him. He's terrible. He's a terrible person. He's basically a Republican anyway, so you can have him. Um, it's, yes. Yeah, it's just, it's very funny to me. I guess everyone grows and evolves, and I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I Bill Maher would be on the late night shows all the time, and uh, and I would see him on there, and I was like, you know what, this guy's making some sense. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess it's a useful thought exercise in listening to what Bill Maher is saying to then further think about things, but his opinions aren't very deep. Most of them, no. most of them can be whittled down to. Uh, pot. I want to smoke pot. And why are all these kids running around? What about horse? Yeah, <laughs> and some you know very like borderline racist stuff about Obama. Like that's yeah. he, liked, he liked that material too. Um, Ra- radical Islam. Yeah, he's a big. He paints with a very broad brush, and yes, you know, there's a lot of a lot of New York Times columnists that go on his show and love him and look whatever everybody can do what they want but i just that guy is like such a symptom of like it's like it's of course like regular people hate the left because that's what they think the left is right i i had not watched his program in many years and then maybe two years ago a year and a half ago or something uh, and then I sat down and uh, watched a real time on HBO, on HBO uh-huh. and it was, it was basically like uh, panelists uh, mildly agreeing or disagreeing with Bill. Then Bill weighs in with his two cents and the crowd wildly cheers. <laughs> yeah, good point, Bill. You're so brilliant, Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like this show is so stupid. I think maybe uh, an idea he could try is uh, reading his jokes before he goes out. And that way he <laughs> wouldn't laugh so much while he's telling them. Ugh. Well. <laughs> he's, he's not. Uh, Chip Franklin. Uh <laughs> Of WBAL, formerly WBAL fame. Yes. Um, he was a nightclub comedian, I guess, around the same time that Mara was coming up as a stand-up. And he's like, I ended up working on a lot of these shows that Mara would host, like stand-up showcases that Mara would host and stuff. And he's like, I learned not to shake his hand because the first he bragged one time that the last thing he does before going out on stage is that he masturbates. <laughs> cool. So now you have that in your brain. Thanks, man. <laughs> As I have had it in my brain for 20 years. <laughs> cool. <sighs> All right. What are, we talk- what are we talking about? Impact killed a kid. <laughs> Impact killed a kid. Here's some news. Bill Maher, a comedian known for having opinions that range from being obliviously racist to those that are outwardly and unquestionably racist, casually said the N-word on purpose while he was surrounded by cameras and wearing a microphone in a room that was filled with air. So the sound traveled. A few comedians have come to the millionaire's aid saying, Bill's a comedian and it's just a joke. Which brings us to another installment of, is this a joke? You're welcome. We'd love to have you work in the fields with us. <laughs> work in the fields? That's part of that. That's... <laughs> I'm a house. It's not. It's literally not a joke. When asked to work in the fields of Nebraska, Bill very comfortably described himself as a house N-word with a soft R, so you know it's okay. But that's not a joke as much as it is a reminder that white people used to have different nuanced categories for non-human that they put black people in. So, what's the joke? Should Bill Maher be fired? Yeah, fuck it, sure, fire everybody. But even if he doesn't, can we stop talking about him? We wring our hands and dedicate a lot of media coverage every time a Bill Maher or a Milo Loren says something ridiculous and say, oh, this is how the left or the right think. Aren't they all bad? Instead, let's just ignore them as the irrelevant controversy courting trolls that they are. So in that spirit, here's more about Bill Maher. I'm a house So he said it. As usual, like, how are we going to fill... Even twenty minutes of this, and we talk. <laughs> we talk for fifty minutes. Yep. Well, you know, the first eight were was Bill Marsh stick. So. 
Damn, why you gotta have all these kids running around? <laughs> what about whores? Oh, <laughs> uh, I just—he's another one where I'm like, there's—he did something bad with his dick once, like oh, without question. Like there's somebody that's he paid money to somebody sure. or multiple somebodies. Yep, but he, he just. Like- He's that old school sleaze. Like he was, you know, big Playboy Mansion guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's a whole different level of sleaze. <laughs> I just, I just recently, this is barely on topic at all, but <laughs> uh, in fact, it's not really. But there's a scene in. Did you see the documentary they did about Jim Carrey playing Andy Kaufman? I watched about half of it and fell asleep. Okay. But there's a part in that where they go to the Playboy Mansion, which is what made me think of it. But uh, it's all—it's like it's all old school footage, like it's from when they were filming the movie. Except there right. is the the new interview with with Carrie. But right. But there's a scene where they're just going to the Playboy Mansion, and just all of the women in the Playboy Mansion look so, un- especially once they see that cameras are there, just look like the most uncomfortable, sad women <laughs> you have ever seen in your life. But they have to pretend to be attracted to gross, sleazy old men because that's what they're paid for. It's like, oh, man, being... <laughs> I guess my conclusion was that being a woman in the 1990s wasn't fun <laughs> in Los Angeles. I think I actually did see that part because he went in as Tony Clifton, right? Well, it was actually like Kaufman's buddy dressed who was like the second Tony Clifton when Kaufman wasn't doing the character. Right, right, right. And then Car- and like halfway through, Carrie shows up as himself. Oh, okay, while right, 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 Kaufman's right. buddy was right, right, right. playing Tony Clifton. Right. So, I, tell you, I tell you, Ty Dillinger played Tony Clifton at the show I went to. No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. He was in character as Ty Clifton at the. Uh, <laughs> it was very, like. How many people get that bit? That that was the problem. He, he didn't really get it until nobody really got it until he started uh, calling people marks, and then <laughs> and then they started reacting to it. But ah, yes. I had to I had to turn to Anna and explain he, he's doing Tony Clifton. Are do you know who Andy Kaufman is? <laughs> do you know who Tony Clifton is? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he's playing a character that Andy Kaufman and sometimes Andy Kaufman's friend would play. <laughs> I try to keep on keeping on.